Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the dark deserts. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I have some show and tell. Her name is Evie Jr. My father gave her to my mother when I was born. My nickname, as some of you know, was Evie, so it was the name given to this doll. My mother kept Evie Jr. on her dresser in their bedroom, and I remember being just a little girl and being fascinated by this doll who had my name. I really wanted to play with Evie Jr., but mostly my mother would not let me. I was told I could use my eyes only to play with her. Now, I'm sure that's because my mother was aware of the state of my other dolls I did play with. Many of them had beautiful magic marker makeup, straight pin earrings, and very stylish haircuts, as you can imagine coming from a young child. I guess she wanted to protect Evie Jr. from uh, receiving a makeover from me. However, there were very special occasions when I was allowed to actually hold and play with Evie Jr. Those occasions were when my mother would attend her United Methodist Women's Meetings. I remember accompanying her to church, and she would put a quilt on the floor next to her chair and hand me Evie Jr. and tell me I was to play quietly on the quilt. What a joy that was for me to get to see her up close. It felt like playing with a precious treasure. I loved it when my mother attended her United Methodist women's meetings. Now my father was a United Methodist minister and sometimes the United Methodist women would meet at the parsonage. Now the parsonage is the house where the minister and their family lived. It belonged to the congregation and was at times another space for church events. On those occasions, my brothers, dad and I would be banished to the back of the house and told to be quiet, the women are meeting. We would be allowed to do something we normally weren't allowed to do, like maybe getting to watch a TV program, or the best time was a rare treat of a Dr. Pepper and chips. I loved it when my mother's United Methodist Women's Meetings happened at the parsonage. As I grew older, I began to become more interested in what was really going on with these women's meetings. I remember attending an event with my mom where a United Methodist missionary from Africa spoke and shared how the women where she came from in Africa could live one day on one cup of water. One cup of water all day for cooking, drinking, cleaning, bathing. Just one cup of water. That still amazes me today. I remember hearing my mother talk about the Nestle boycott, how the United Methodist women were asking people to not support that company 
due to the harm they inflicted on people and children in other countries. All these experiences and memories with United Methodist Women caused me to become aware of a bigger world beyond myself. It opened my eyes to the needs of others and rooted in me a desire to discern just what is my role in this? What is my place? Our scripture this morning from Isaiah 43 calls for us to not remember the former things or consider the things of old, which is what I just did. So why would that be so? Well, let's place this scripture passage within the context of time. Scholars believe that it was written by 2nd Isaiah or Deutero-Isaiah, meaning that 2nd Isaiah stands in the same tradition as Isaiah. Their messages are interrelated, but they are speaking from different times in history. The prophet Isaiah lived and worked in Judah, and 2nd Isaiah was a prophet of the exile, the time when the Israelites were exiles in Babylon. Now some Bible history. The Babylonian exile began with the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC. The Israelites were captured and taken to Babylon where they lived until King Cyrus of Persia defeated Babylon in 539 BC, approximately 50 years in bondage. Second Isaiah's hearers would have immediately resonated with the words spoken in Isaiah 43, 19, where he says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It would have called to mind for the Israelites the exodus from Egypt when they escaped slavery and when they were led forth by God through Moses. They would remember the miracle that took place at the Red Sea and feel the promise that a similar miracle is about to take place. Just as God provided for the people their water and what they needed in the wilderness wandering, God will again provide water for the returning exiles on their journeys. Now the Israelites knew this story so well, it's sort of like if I say, the Lord be with you, you're, yeah, you're probably thinking and also with you. Or if I say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that's right. They knew 2nd Isaiah was alluding to a time when they had trusted in God before to lead them, and now once again, they can trust God. So why does he use words that will call to mind memories and at the same time bluntly command them to not remember the former things or consider things of old? Well, according to the scholars I read this week for this sermon, what on the surface may seem like a contradiction is actually a very effective rhetorical device involving the technique of surprise. By recalling God's past activity in their lives was a way to bring forth hope in the continuation of God's unwavering faithfulness to them. Well, today, as you have heard, is United Women in Faith Sunday. United Women in Faith is the new name for United Methodist Women, the organization within the United Methodist denomination that was founded 153 years ago with women putting their faith, 
hope and love into action on behalf of children, youth, and women. It's the women's group that I attended with my mother all those years ago that caused me to become aware of the wider world around me. United Women in Faith has an extensive history. In 153 years in mission, its name has changed at least 25 times. It is the inheritor of the work of the Women's Missionary Societies of eight different denominations. On March 23, 1869, eight women gathered at Tremont Methodist Church in Boston, Massachusetts, and organized the first Women's Foreign Missionary Society. Those women raised money to send a doctor, Clara Swain, and a teacher, Isabella Thoburn, to India as missionaries to underserved women. This has grown into the largest organization of women organized for missions. There are approximately 800,000 members supporting missional service all over the world in 100 countries. As you move about the church today, be sure to watch the screens for slides of what our United Women in Faith group at Boston Avenue and others have been doing by putting their faith, hope, and love in action for women, children, and youth. And be sure to visit the display in Bishop's Hall. Now, a great resource about the history of United Women in Faith is the book by Reverend Dr. Ellen Blue called Women United for Change, 150 Years in Mission. In it, she shares a fascinating story about Belle Bennett, a woman from Kentucky and a member of the Methodist Episcopal Church South in the 1800s. Reverend Dr. Blue writes, Belle became intrigued with the idea of missionary work, and she and her sister Sue went to Carlisle, Kentucky to attend a missionary meeting. While there, she was impressed with the fact that missionaries of her own church were being sent forth into the mission field but without preparation or knowledge of the Bible. While Belle Bennett knew about a Chicago training school for missionaries, and she desired to have such an institution for the women in the South. Dr. Blue states, she continued to think and pray until it became one burning thought day and night. Stricken with an illness and confined to her bed, she finally responded by sitting up straight in her bed and answering aloud, Yes, Lord, I will do it. That conviction led her to present her dream to the board members of the Women's Foreign Missionary Society for Adoption. As Belle Bennett had never made a public speech in her life, she wrote these words. I was too sick and frightened to stand on my feet when I was called to speak before the board. The board president, seeing how terrified Bennett was, stood up and led her to a chair and said, come right here, Miss Bennett, sit down in this chair and let's talk this over. So Bennett did sit down and began to speak, but then in her own words became so excited and stood up I poured out the whole thought of my heart. I talked to them about the splendid training that was being given to doctors and lawyers and professional men of all kinds. 
Yet we were sending out young women to other lands to teach about a new religion they themselves knew nothing about. Now the women agreed in principle that the school was needed, but lacking the resources to establish it, they put Bennett in charge of raising the funds. Now, Miss Bennett had a very uh, clever way of fundraising. She addressed a camp meeting at Park Hill Campgrounds conducted by Reverend Sam Jones. Jones was so affected by her words, he asked simply, how did she want to con collect the contributions? Bennett replied, I would like every woman and girl in Southern Methodism to have a part in it. I would rather have one dollar a year from every woman in the church than to have the full amount required by one person. So Reverend Jones placed a chair for Bennett at the edge of the platform. And as Bennett sat there, she recalls men and women came up, took off their watches and other jewelry, and with money and subscription notes to the amount of something more than $3,000, they were poured into her lap. So just imagine her sitting there with her long skirt spread out around her as people tossed their jewelry and watches and money into it. By 1895, Bennett and her assistant had raised $52,000 for the General Endowment Fund. They'd raised $55,000 for 11 lectureships and endowments and 19 scholarships and small student loans. When the cornerstone for the school was laid, the secretary of the Board of Missions attended. He recalled that when Bennett was appointed to raise the funds that would be needed if her dream of a school was to be realized, there was not a dollar in the treasury. The mind of the church respecting it was not known. A female fiscal agent with connectional relations was a thing unknown to the church. Yet with a heart strong in the Lord and in the conviction of great duty, she went forward. Her success under such circumstances has been so phenomenal as to convict of blindness those who could not see God was with her. The Jews in Babylon needed a reminder that God was with them and that God would continue to be with them. Second Isaiah was calling the Israelites forth to not remain nostalgic to the old things. Like the slaves in Egypt, the Jews in Babylon are in bondage to a foreign power. But we know from epigraphic evidence that many Jews were thriving in that environment. Evidence from within the Bible indicates that many were reluctant to return to the uncertainty of their destroyed homeland. Geographically, the way through the wilderness over which the exiles would have to pass was fraught with dangers and hazards. So the threat to their freedom was their own lethargy, their wistful sort of memory of the past that dulls one's alertness to the future. Israel needed to be shocked out of such lethargy, to not remain tied to the past to be responsive to new opportunities and the potential for growth into yet unrealized possibilities. Do not remember the former things, I am about to do a new thing, is a call to wake up to the now of faith. 
Belle Bennett woke up and heard the call of God leading her forward to create a training ground for those women going into the mission field. Our United Methodist women have heard the call from God to hold an appreciation of our tradition while combining it with a daring openness to the future. The new name, United Women in Faith, and the new look are to better reflect who we are and who we want to be. This is a bold yet natural change, is a practice in hope. United Women in Faith is active internationally, nationally, and locally, imagining what could be as our, is our charge as followers of Jesus. The vision of turning faith, hope, and love into action for women, children, and youth around the world is the same today as it was 153 years ago. But it will look different because our world is different. The core of who United Women in Faith is remains the same, which is we believe love in action can change the world. We remain women in mission who follow God's call for our time. The new mission statement says, United Women in Faith seeks to connect and nurture women through Christian spiritual formation, leadership development, creative fellowship, and education so that they can inspire, influence, and impact local and global communities. United Women in Faith is a faith-driven organization whose beliefs bring us together to boldly live out our faith and connect to something bigger. Our actions have always spoken as loud as our words. For more than 150 years, members have been showing up and getting things done. United Women in Faith is honoring our past by committing to our future. As Second Isaiah declares from God, I am about to do a new thing. Things change, people change, but God remains. Thanks be to God. Amen.